This morning, praise God, we are going to be taking communion together for the first time in a while, and we are so excited about that. Also this morning, we come to a unique passage in our study of Ephesians. It's unique here at the beginning of chapter 6 because this passage is specifically addressed to children or to young people. Because of that, I'm going to address my message specifically to our young people, but I trust that it will be relevant for all of us. This morning, I want to forego what we would typically think of as an introduction to the sermon, and I want to just take time to pray together. Specifically, I'd like to ask that, that parents, if, you, if your children are within arm's reach, if you could lay your hands on their head or on their shoulder or on their back. Uh, for those of you who are at home, hopefully your children are gathered either around your ankles or next to you on the couch, and, and you can pray over them as well. One of the reasons why I want to speak directly to young people is because I, I feel a sense of burden as your pastor to make sure that I have a clear conscience so that you can never say that you were not warned about the reality of the wrath of God against your sin and so that you can never say that you weren't regularly communicated about in terms of the beauties of the gospel itself. And so this morning is part of that fulfillment. But first, let's ask God to help us because we need his help. Would you, would you pray with me, families? Would you lay your hands on your children? Father, we need you this morning. We need you to do a powerful work uh, in the hearts of our young people and in the hearts of our parents and in the hearts of our whole church body. Lord, I pray that your, your spirit would search us out in such a way that areas where we may have become desensitized to our habitual sin, would, we would see clearly in light of your word and in light of your presence. So would you lead us? Father, as the Old Testament comes to a close and the ministry of the Messiah is looked forward to. In the spirit of Elijah, you proclaimed, when he comes, fathers' hearts will be turned toward their children. And children's hearts will be turned toward their fathers. Would you do that work this morning? In light of the ministry, the finished work of Jesus Christ, and in in light of the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit who is infinitely powerful, would you do a miracle this morning and draw hearts together and draw hearts to you? Lord, lead us. Lead us by your Spirit. I know I have a, a sober-minded and weighty sense of this message, and that's because there are so few times where we can directly address our young people, but Lord, you have provided that opportunity this morning, so I pray that your spirit would accomplish what you desire today, and I ask this in the name of Jesus, our beloved Lord, amen. Amen. 
So our passage is Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. And it, if you have your Bibles open and you're looking at it, you realize verse 4 fits right in there also. Uh, the way I'm thinking about these two particular messages is that, by God's grace, this morning I have the opportunity to say a word to our children who are addressed in those first three verses. And Lord willing, next week I'll have an opportunity as we cover verse 4 to say a word to parents and especially to fathers. So brothers and sisters, hear the word of our perfect Father in heaven. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Spirit, help us now. Lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So young people, in in these verses, Paul the Apostle, and more notably the Holy Spirit, saw fit to address you directly. Therefore, I want to afford you the same honor this morning. The word that the Apostle Paul uses here that's translated children is a really general word, so it really is perfectly fitting for Uh, The small children all the way up until adulthood, and anybody who has a father and mother or in relationship with their father and mother even still. One of the reasons that I'm thankful, actually, that this passage has fallen during this rather strange time where we have a lot of COVID-19 restrictions is because our children's ministry actually is not active right now, which means... If you are a young person, more than likely you are sitting in here with your parents or almost assuredly, if you're at home, you are sitting with your parents hearing this particular message. What I love about that is that it's perfectly fitting for the context. That's likely about exactly how the church would have heard it in Ephesus. This letter read, with moms and dads and children all sitting together, hearing this word. And imagine being a child sitting in that context, or a young person sitting in that context, and hearing the Apostle Paul address you very specifically. In that same way this morning, we have the opportunity for this word to be addressed to you, and this particular message to be directed specifically to you. Now, Within this context, Paul specifically says to you, that is to you, young people, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is as straightforward as it is powerful. You have two responsibilities placed before you. One, to obey your parents, and two, to honor your parents. 
Now, to try to break that down as simply as we can, to obey means you actually have to do what you're asked, when you are asked, in the manner you were asked to do it, according to the standard you were given, or you are not actually obeying this command from the Lord. In other words, your actual physical response to your parents, your actual actions matter. To honor your parents at the simplest level means that your attitude in obeying matters as much as your obedience does. The way you speak to your parents as well as your body language, including the expression on your face when your parents give you an instruction. They're all part of the attitude you convey to your parents and ultimately to God. So talking back to your parents or, or speaking about your parents to your friends or, or, or possibly complaining about your parents on social media or something of that nature, let's be clear, these are all violations of this command. God's desire is always for us to be not just obedient, but obedient from the heart. Actions and attitudes together that are pleasing and honoring to the Lord. Now, typically, talking about an area like this, the Holy Spirit brings stuff up uh, pretty clearly, may remind you of some very specific situations. So rather than going through an overwhelming number of examples about what this might look like, let me begin with hope this morning. Let me begin where we must begin and that is with the gospel itself. So, children and young adults, I want you to understand that it is possible to joyfully and freely and respectfully obey your parents. Joyful and respectful obedience to our parents is what God desires for us, and frankly, it is what God demands from us. Sincere, and hope-filled, and peaceful, and respectful, and joyful, and free, and full obedience to our parents is possible for one reason, and that is because of the gospel itself. All of us, all of us come from different homes, and our relationships with our parents and our family dynamics, they are all different because all people are different. But every single one of us who is a Christian has something in common as well. We all have God for our Father, and we are all, in Jesus, God's perfect Son. Remember the way that Paul opened this letter to the Ephesians. As I read the opening seven verses or so of chapter 1, Listen specifically for references to the Father and to the Son, and not just about who they are, but about what they have done for us. The Father-Son dynamic is one of the Lord's favorite ways to communicate the gospel message. Paul opens this letter by saying he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So think about this if you're a young person. This letter is written to the church, specifically to the saints who are in Ephesus, and you yourselves have been addressed directly in this letter. 
which means that you are a part of the family of God. The first thing Paul says is grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has held back nothing, absolutely nothing good from us. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Brothers and sisters, that is a power-packed summary of the gospel itself, set within the context of a father and son relationship. But what if you have a really difficult relationship with your earthly dad? What if, what if your, your relationship with your earthly dad is extremely disappointing? Or what if, it, what if it's been devastating to you? Maybe you don't even know who your earthly who your earthly dad is. If you are in Christ, then the reality is that you have a perfect father in heaven who not only knows you, but loves you. He is fully committed to work all things, all things in your life, even the most difficult things for your good, for your ultimate joy, and for your eternal good. That is the hope of the gospel, communicated again and again and again throughout the pages of God's glorious word. So so let that sink in for a moment. Especially young people, think hard. I want you to think hard this morning about this. Let it sink in. The greatest being in all the universe, that is, the most faithful, the most loving, the most present, the most engaged, the most wise, the most powerful, the most consistent, the most gracious, the most fair, the most protective, the most creative, the most reasonable, the most respectable, the most wonderful father of all time is your father. He delights to be your father. And he promises, he promises to be your father forever. If you are a Christian, if you are In Christ, he chose you. Not out of obligation, not because he felt bad for you, not because he had to, but it says in love. 
in love, he adopted you. He adopted us as his very own sons and daughters through Jesus Christ when we were spiritually orphaned. He loves you. This is who God the Father is, and this is what he has done for us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how he has blessed us in Christ, to use Paul's language of Ephesians 1. But what if you're thinking, I agree with you. God is that glorious. But, but, but that's not the problem in our relationship. The problem in our relationship is not God the Father. He's awesome. The problem is that he's perfect and he's holy and I am not either of those things. He's a perfect father, but I'm not a perfect son or daughter. I've done and, 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 and still do lots of things that are sinful and that are wrong. And this haunting question keeps churning in my mind and heart. How could he possibly love me? How could he possibly find delight in me? Look back at these opening verses with me from God's word. Not only is God the perfect father, but if you look at your life and say, how can it be that the father could love me? Note that Jesus is God's perfect son and we are in him. The father has blessed us in Christ with an eternal inheritance, literally with every, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, verse 2. He chose us not to belittle us, not to put us on display as a disappointment, not to be a source of frustration for him, but to be holy and to be blameless before him, verse 4. So that we might be fully holy, pleasing to him in every way. How is that possible? It's possible through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the perfectly obedient son on our behalf. And beloved, we are in him. God the Father adopted us through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. We are blessed in God's beloved son, verse 6. How? Because Jesus bore our sin on himself, on Calvary, and in its place, we received his righteousness. So when the Father now looks on us as his children, he sees the pristine beauty and the holiness of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, verse 7. In other words, we as imperfect and disobedient sons and daughters, both in action and in attitude, because we are in Christ, we get to trade in our record of sinful failure for Jesus' record of joyful obedience. Have you ever traded anything old and got something new? You are so glad to be rid of it. I've got about four or five vehicles that I can't wait to trade in for something new one day. 
and I won't miss them at all. I want an exchange. I want something that's new and not worn out and perfect for that which is old and worn out and awful. Though I'm thankful that they get me to work in the morning. We have the opportunity for an exchange. Our sinfulness for Christ's righteousness. Therefore, in Jesus, we are considered perfect sons and daughters, holy and blameless before our adopted Father in heaven, who also just happens to be the highest standard of holiness imaginable. Such is the greatness of the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say that the Holy Spirit, that is the very Spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit of adoption, guarantees that we will be part of God's family forever until we acquire possession of our inheritance. Inheritances only come to sons and daughters, and we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ according to God's eternal word. So brothers and sisters, and I'm saying this to young people, So right now, I'm addressing you as a fellow brother in Christ. Fellow sons and daughters, fellow brothers and sisters of the living God, this reality that the Father loves us and we are wholly secure in Him because of Jesus Jesus' perfect obedience in our place is the reality that sets us free from the bondage of our own just self-referenced and shameful and embarrassing behavior. Traded for joyful, respectful obedience. Knowing that we are perfectly loved and fully accepted by our Heavenly Father is what frees us when we put faith in Jesus to obey. Let's kind of summarize it like this, and this really is the main point of our passage this morning. The perfect obedience of Jesus expressed toward our Father in heaven for us frees us to obey and honor our parents on earth. The perfect obedience of Jesus in our place expressed toward our Father in heaven for us frees us to obey and honor our parents on earth no matter how difficult our individual situation might be. The reality of this is that it puts the gospel itself at the center of our efforts to honor and obey our parents. Because Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, his sacrifice for us frees us to love and honor and obey our Father in heaven and our parents on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the gospel message set within the context of a father-son relationship. The opening verses of Ephesians provide the spiritual foundation for our spirit-filled obedience as children, no matter how wonderful or how challenging our earthly parents might be. Now, let's jump back to Ephesians 6. There's not a ton to explain in these first three verses. But what Paul says is extremely important. 
And perhaps the power comes from the reality that this is exactly what God demands of us. The command is given to you, young people. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In a, in a spirit-filled family, is, to use the context that we've been talking about in Ephesians over the last few weeks, parents should only ask their children to do things that are pleasing and honoring to the Lord. Young people, the only time that it's okay not to do what your parents are asking you to do is if something is sinful, displeasing to the Lord, or wrong. Now, especially if you're younger, if your parents are doing something or asking you to do something that is not pleasing to the Lord as far as you understand it, or, or they're doing something or asking you to do something that's confusing to you, I want you to know that you, you can talk to me about that, or you could talk to one of the other elders about that, or you can go to an adult that you trust, and you can talk to them and ask them and explain what's happening to them. And we'll help you think through that, and we'll help you figure out what the right thing to do is. Your parents have an awesome responsibility to be seeking the Lord as they would seek to instruct you both through the behavior that they model before you And in the things that they ask you to do that are pleasing and honoring to the Lord in their estimation. Children are to obey their parents because it is right. Easily the most astounding example of this is Jesus. He not only obeyed his Father in heaven, he showed respect for and submitted to his earthly parents. I'm having a hard time just getting over this. I've been thinking about it all week. It's fascinating because there's almost nothing mentioned about Jesus' life as a child in, in all of the Bible. Except for one story in Luke 2 when Jesus was 12. You may remember the story. His parents uh, were visiting Jerusalem during the Passover. The family lived in the backwoods in Nazareth. And Jesus stayed behind in the temple when his family started to return home so that he could talk to the teachers of the law. He said he needed to be in his father's house. Now, the scene's powerful, but when his parents finally find Jesus after three days, imagine that burden being on your shoulders. We lost the Son of God. Where is he? <laughs> when they finally found him, Luke, Luke mentions this one detail 
about Jesus' life as a child. Jesus went home with his parents to Nazareth, and he was submissive or obedient to them. How amazing is that? Jesus was, and Jesus is, and Jesus forever will be God. In the first chapter of Colossians, it says about Jesus, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Which necessarily would include Mary and Joseph, his own parents. And yet, the Son of Glory, the Son of Man, the second person of the Trinity, is respectful to them and he submits to them as his parents. So, one of the most powerful reasons that it is right to honor and obey parents is simply this, Jesus did. Do you need another argument? If your parents ask you to do something and you don't want to, maybe you think you know better than your parents, or at least in this particular instance. Or, or maybe you think you're seeing this particular situation more clearly than they're seeing it. Or maybe you think you're just getting a raw deal. You think that your parents just don't get it. The most likely scenario is that you're wrong. And that your parents are correct. That is easily the most likely scenario. The reason for that is simple. Your parents have been walking with the Lord in most cases for much longer than you have. And they have much more experience in life. Therefore, most of the time, they're probably right and, and you're probably not. Right? The truth is what it is. But besides all of that, from an obeying your parents because it's right standpoint, the obedience of Jesus to his earthly parents blows up your argument entirely if you think you know better than your parents. If anyone could have ever pulled the I know better than you card, it would have been Jesus, especially as a reason for disregarding their instruction to him. And yet, he submitted to his parents in an honoring way. He obeyed them. No matter what age you are, that's humbling. Now, the main reason that Paul gives that it is right in the Lord to obey your parents is that God has commanded it in his word. He says specifically about honoring your parents that it is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. In its original context, referring to the land that God was giving to his people. Now, Paul is specifically referring to the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20.12 or Deuteronomy 5.16. And the way that the Ten Commandments are organized is that the first four of the commandments address how we're to interact with God or how we're to think about God. The rest of the commandments are about how we're to interact with each other as the people of God. And the very first commandment in that set is this, honor your father 
and your mother. When Paul says this is the first commandment with a promise, if you're thinking through the Ten Commandments, you may remember, well, it's the only one with a promise also. (laughs) But he means, as opposed to the previous commandments that also included warnings of judgment. Think about how important it is to the Lord that parents are not just obeyed, but honored, which is the particular command. In 2 Timothy 3.2, Paul is describing what things will be like in the last days. And it's not a pretty picture. Tell me what stands out to you about these. This is, these are the behaviors that will characterize godlessness. People will be lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, ungrateful, disobedient to their parents, unholy, heartless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, among several other things. Would you include that in a list of the things that signify how bad the culture could possibly get? Disobedience to parents. That's a big deal. Because God says that characterizes God-less behavior. That's a warning both to the culture and to the church. Think about Think about why, why it's so important to Jesus that he obeyed his earthly parents. Why is it so important to God the Father to make the first commandment, the very first commandment about how people are to relate to each other in the nation of Israel that would show them to be distinctive from the nations around them? Why would he choose honor your father and mother? Why? What's the answer to the question? What do you think? Why is it important? I think in the simplest place, the answer is this. As you learn to obey your parents, you learn to live under the authority of God himself. And that is huge. You will have an extraordinarily difficult time walking in humility in your relationship with God if you won't even do it with your parents. You're kidding yourself if you think that's going to be the case. If you are a young person, let me say this as clearly as I can because I feel a burden about this as your pastor. I want to be clear about this so that I've warned you, so that I've been clear to you. If you are a young person who regularly resists the direct engagement of your parents as they communicate love to you, as they confront you about your sin, and as they point you to the hope of the gospel, I want you to think, do you understand what an expression of grace that is from God that you have parents who do that? Many, many people in this room did not grow up with that unbelievable privilege 
You have parents who love you so much that they are willing to confront you about your sin, about the ways that you are dishonoring God, and they do so with consistency and regularity, not to be a burden to you, but so that you would see that it's wrong. It has to break here, or you will never honor God. So if you have parents that are lovingly engaging you with that truth and proclaiming the gospel, the hope of the gospel to you in the midst of your sin, praise God for that. Thank God for that. The primary way God is demonstrating his love for you is by giving you parents who are teaching you what it looks like to live under his authority so that your relationship with him will flourish. Both the way you respond to your parents, that is, your actions, and the condition of your heart as you obey, that is, your attitude, both matter, and they matter eternally. If you are regularly sinning against your parents and God with your actions or attitude, because I love you, let me offer a warning first. If this describes you, the reality is you are in a very, very dangerous place spiritually. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how tall you are. God does not owe you one more minute of life on this earth to have the chance of repentance. God hates your sin with a holy passion and you will not, you will not escape his judgment if you do not repent specifically of your actions and attitudes toward your parents. But by the grace of God, for the glory of God, today, today, can be the day of salvation. Behold, this very moment can be the moment of repentance. Ask God to turn your heart. Ask God to give you a desire to honor your parents. Ask God to forgive your rebellion against him. Ask your parents to forgive you for your actions and your attitudes that are not only heartbreaking to them, but dishonoring to the Lord of glory. And trust the leading of the Holy Spirit as he leads you to be obedient to the truth of God's word and to be respectful of your parents. Also, if, you, if you're a young person and you, you're a person who tends to be more naturally compliant, so rule following isn't as objectionable to you naturally, please understand that you are not in any safer place than anyone else if your obedience is not flowing from a heart that is seeking to trust Jesus by faith and be led by the Spirit in your obedience to your parents. Both actions and attitude are equally important to God. It's more subtle. It's far more subtle, but a self-righteous spirit in your obedience is no more pleasing to God than a rebellious spirit. Whatever your struggle, though, whatever your struggle, praise God for the reality that 
that our Father in heaven sees you through the perfect obedience of his glorious Son. I am so thankful for so many of you young people in this church. You are so far past where I was at your age, rebelling against my parents and against God. Praise God that you have parents who are pointing you to Christ Jesus. Therefore, you are growing in your relationship with God. It is such an encouragement. There is perhaps no more powerful testimony to unbelievers than the, about the power of God than when they see joyful and respectful Christian children interacting with their parents. Do you know how much that stands out in the culture? Easily now, easily, more than half of children, doesn't matter what your race or ethnicity is, more than half of children in the United States of America grow up without a father regularly in their home. Doesn't matter who you are. That statistic is true. So imagine what a loving, engaged, gracious family respecting and loving and honoring each other looks like. It stands out. Because that is not the norm. Young people, I also want you to know that there is perhaps no greater encouragement for your fellow believers than when they see you earnestly seeking to love and honor and obey the Lord. I can't tell you how many times, like during our week of prayer at the beginning of the year, for example, when I've heard a young person praying, seeking the Lord, asking for forgiveness, or just asking the Lord to work powerfully. I can't tell you how much that's encouraged my heart. And even though that person's head is bowed, I kind of open an eye and look around, and I can't tell you how many adults I've seen crying based on the beauty of the testimony of a child who is seeking the Lord God. So a final word before communion to young people. I want you to think about the opportunity that is before you at this stage of your life. At this stage of your life, you have the opportunity to cultivate godly habits in so many areas of life. Conversely, you also have the opportunity to cultivate or to practice many ungodly habits as well. So my exhortation to you is seize this opportunity to maximize your joy in God and cultivate habits that are pleasing and honoring to the Lord. I spend most of my counseling time talking to adults who for decades can't break out of their old habitual sin, cultivated, begun when they were your age. If you want to be a mature believer in Christ, if you want to be conformed into the image of Christ, then start now. This is a perfect opportunity for you to begin to cultivate godliness and righteousness and holiness and purity and passion and resolve in your life. May God encourage all of us. And young people, may he specifically encourage you as we turn now to this table to celebrate the perfect obedience of Jesus, God's only Son, who was obedient unto death, 
even to death on a cross. Jesus perfectly obeyed his Father on our behalf so that that this very sacrifice that is represented here would free us from our disobedience so that we might be obedient from the heart to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. May God minister to your souls now as we take a moment to prepare our hearts and to pray. May the Spirit bring to mind any sin that needs to be confessed. Uh, May He move in terms of conviction in any areas of your heart that need to be addressed. And may the Spirit then, upon your confession, may He make you all the more confident than you ever have been about the reality of grace and about the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away your sin. This is a time of great disunity in our nation, in our culture. So may we as the people of God shine a bright light of unified love in our community. This table, this sacrifice is the foundation for that unity. Would you pray with me? Father, please lead us now as we consider uh, the reality of all that you have done for us in Christ. As a son who does not obey, I rejoice because of the obedience of Jesus, your son, on my behalf. Thank you for him. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the reality that we have hope because of him. And would you move by your spirit to increasingly give us a desire to live by faith and to honor you in every area of life. Move among us now as your people, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.